Well, guys, it has been a while, and welcome back to the Pulsifier Paddock podcast. At the season's end, uh, we've been away for a bit, mate. Um, yeah, but I kind of c- could be considered to be slacking, um, if only this was a paid job. Who knew? Um, but yeah, uh, wow, we're, we're already at the season's end of 2021. Where has the year gone? Um, scarily Christmas in two weeks-ish? Yeah. Um, mate, and what are an end to this Formula 1 season that we have uh, been witness to? Some for the good reasons, some for the wrong reasons, <laughs> um, which we're going to go into, uh, no doubt. Um, but yeah, um, welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, apologies for the uh, the lengthy absence. I think the problem is real life gets in the way. You know, we're we're both busy professionals with with busy lives, um, and on my side, obviously, there's three small children to consider as well. So mm. yes, real life does tend oh. to get in the way. But we do think next year, if we could, if we keep this up for the 2022 season, we do think things could be a bit more regular. Yeah, yeah I I think we should have a bit more structure in place yeah. um you know all, all things uh going the right way um so you know look out for that also other news um we've got a website that's on the way as well um mm-hmm. which we'll go into more details and when that's all finalized but there is one on the way it's looking all right so far um uh we'll be sure to be posting up a, a, a video when that goes live um get some more traffic going and you know it's got it's got options of be people being able to do guest columns and the like on there so if that's something that interests you uh then you know get in touch and obviously uh gives us room as well for our own sort of creative freedoms of stuff that we want to focus on maybe as well so um yeah well uh where did we leave off? We left off way back in Russia and Turkey, didn't we? I think um, we did. I think we are pretty much circuit of America's onwards, yeah. um, which yeah, will be interesting because, you know, we're going back to end of October and my memory, you know, I'm getting old now. I don't know if my memory's good enough to be able to remember back that far. I'm having to pull up the Wikipedia article to remember how the hell well, that race went. Well, um, oh, Lord, there was there was so much going on, to be honest. Um, the, the, like, the, I know the battle, obviously... The title battle has got really spicy over a few races. Um, crikey. Uh, obviously, announcements made, because obviously we were still waiting on a couple of seat confirmations as well at the time, uh, namely surrounding Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Um, which obviously that's now confirmed. We can now obviously confirm, as you guys probably already well know, that Antonio Giovinazzi is also leaving Alfa Romeo. He's going across to Formula E to race for Dragon or something like that in Formula E. And obviously, um, Gang, Gang Yao Zhao? Guan Yu Zhao. Guan Yu Zhao, he's coming up into Formula 1 with his reported millions. Um, which, in fairness, looking at it, he's had a good season in Formula 2. Uh, it's not been, you know, it's not been an awful season. It's not been a mediocre season. It's been a pretty decent season. Um, but obviously it leaves Oscar Piastri then, the uh, champion, out in the cold for a year. And uh, from his social media posts, he's actually got nothing planned to race in next year. He is just going to be focusing on simulator driving for Alpine. Of course, he's replacing Daniel Kvyat as the simulator driver there. Um, 
But I've got to say, uh, on the subject of Alpine, um, I've been impressed with them this, this latter part of the season as well. They've um, picked up a nice, tidy amount of points and a, and a podium. Hmm. Um, yeah, they have. I mean, well, I can only assume that Piastri is is looking long term at the seat that presumably Fernando Alonso is going to vacate. Yeah. Um, in in a couple of years' time, which would or in a year's time, which would make sense. I did see earlier Piastri tweeted that he is now a triple back-to-back champion as well. He is. Formula Renault Euro Cup winner, uh, then the Formula 3 winner, and then the Formula 2 champion. So, I mean, that's not bad going if you're a junior driver. Um, Yeah, I mean, his his stock has increased exponentially. Mm. Um, I'll I'll be interested to see him get beyond the wheel of a Formula 1 car. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that at some point. Yeah, um, I'm hoping to see him involved in some, you know, some free practice sessions over the next year or so, um, sort of integrate him a bit more. Um, I think is he not also taking part in the junior tests that are just around the corner as well? I'm pretty sure he probably will be. Up. They normally do junior tests straight after mm. the uh, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, don't they? So it would make sense. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Turkey. Yeah, it was Kota, wasn't it? Was the next Grand Prix? Um... Yeah, we might need to just give these a bit of a whistle stop tour because yeah. Kota was so long ago. I don't really remember a great deal about it. I was just looking at the no. results and and things are sort of what you expect: Max first, Lewis second, Sergio third, mm. Valtteri fourth, and then it's the best of the rest. Two Ferraris line astern, two McLarens line astern, two Alpha Tauris line astern. Yeah, it sort of ran its course as you expected it, it would. It has with the sort of freak podium for Alonso. Uh, that was kind of the uh, that was a Qatar, wasn't it? Let's say uh, circuit, which yeah, good to see the wily old dog still got it. Um, yeah, I mean I, the, I the Qatar talk... Grand Prix yeah. was sort of it was yeah. marred by some some robust overtaking, some really stupid track limit regulations mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately lots of punctures and slow punctures because yeah. of track regulations and the curbs. And the curbs, yeah, which the curbs, let's talk about curbs because there's two races in particular now. Obviously we had Qatar where there was issues. And then we came to Saudi Arabia at the Jeddah circuit. Now I want to talk <laughs> about the Jeddah circuit because... <laughs> Do we have to? Oh, I, I think... We need to. Oh, we need um, to talk about the race. Yeah, yeah, the the race, all kinds of aspects of it, really, because there was concerns raised before the race, saying that if anyone has an accident, we're going to be going around that corner completely unsighted mm. into the back of it. And lo and behold, what happens? Little old Nikita Mazepin straight in the back of George Russell because uh, he can't see what the hell's going on. It's just high walls. Yeah. Blind corners, fast and flowing. Don't get me wrong; it's, like, it's an aggressive circuit, and you know I'm sure it's great to drive aggressively over a course of a lap. Mm. But when you're in a race and you're trying to make up positions, that I feel is where this track comes unstuck. And uh, George Russell was very vocal about it. He said the track needs to be changed mm. next year dramatically, um, as it's just too dangerous. I agree. I, I actually I do. do agree with him. Yeah. I, I'm with him 100%. I mean, I'm 
I'm not a fan of street circuits. You know, I understand why Monaco has to stay on the calendar. And yes, there's an argument that Montreal, the Gilles Villeneuve circuit, although I don't think it's called that anymore, is a street circuit. But things like Macau is a great example. Every, every week, it seems this year, I've seen a funny video online of the clusterfuck that is Macau because one person's had an accident, has ended up broadside across the track, and every car has piled into them and it's just caused a massive yep. wreck. You can't have that sort of stuff. But these sort of circuits mm. are, let's call a spade a spade, they are becoming Formula E circuits. Formula yes. E really pushed us into driving in city centres because of carbon neutral and, and no emissions, yeah. etc. To the point where, in Britain, they did the Earl's Court Formula E race, where half they of did. it was inside Earl's Court Arena. Yeah. You know, fair play to them if that's the spectacle they want to go for. It doesn't interest me in the slightest, but crack on, fill your boots. It's exactly. not what Formula One's around. You don't drive a Formula One car at 200 miles an hour on a street circuit with walls each side because when, not if, when something goes wrong, there's no runoff, there's no opportunity to save it. And we saw that a few times on that weekend. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, I mean, there was a few instances, uh, practice and qualifying. Leclerc was a notable one, straight off in the wall. And then in the race, we had Mick Schumacher, uh crikey who else did we have we had we had a number of them in the end that were caught up in all kinds of uh, yeah just shenanigans and and some of it in some places wasn't helped by those really aggressive curbs that they've put down where they just drop off a cliff one side and i, I get that they're trying to stop people going out of track limits i get that but when you start risking the fact that if you hook your wheels over that and it rips apart the floor and spears you off into a wall is that going too far? And uh, I think, again, they've kind of overstepped the mark on that as well. Yeah. Um, and, of course, <laughs> weirdly, <coughs> a track that is all walls and is flat out, we still then get the odd corner, which can be exploited for track limits anyway, <laughs> yeah. as we saw with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton going at it. Obviously, Max started the race straight across at turn one. Oh, I'll see you later. I'll go across there. Um, and then the restarts. Yeah, it was just open to exploitation because it's such a, an awkward, janky corner that you can't really fulfill the rule obligation of rejoin the track safely because where's safe? Where is safe coming out of that? Um, but needless to say, I think he flouted that rule quite a lot there where he just put down and went. Um, of course, there was another controversial incident with Max and Lewis in that race, uh, obviously involving this whole spiel about who should be in front of the other yeah. and who should be told to let someone by. Um, I can't help but feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, that if we had Charlie Whiting, oh. we wouldn't have had that situation because whenever you look back at the old footage, Charlie would have a discussion with the offending driver he would then have a discussion with the team that is the victim mm -hmm. so to speak he would advise the victim driver of his decision first he would go to the victim driver and state be prepared i'm going to tell the driver in front to allow you through so be prepared to go past and then he would go and tell the offended driver right you need to back off you need to let this other guy through for some unknown reason, Massey, if you watch the race back, he informs Max Verstappen first mm -hmm. and then informs Mercedes. But in this delay, because you can only have one conversation at a time, mm -hmm. 
in this delay, Red Bull gone straight onto there and gone right for Stappen. Yeah, let Hamilton go. Uh, just before the DRS zone. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Hamilton's coming up at a rate of knots behind and suddenly Max is slowing and slowing and he's like, well, what the fuck is going on? Generally confused because he's still getting the information from Mercedes because um, they're still having that conversation with Massey to certify this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It's a complete and utter misdirection here. Anyway, obviously, the data then showed that Max brake checked Lewis Hamilton. There was a substantial amount of braking force applied. Yes, and um, an amount of left-hand turn as well, because he wasn't... Because exactly. this is the other thing, that the, the Max-Lewis debate has become so heated and people come down mm. at either side of the fence. But if you look at the road positioning of Max Verstappen, he is just off-centre of the middle of the track. Yeah. And actually, you'll see him turn left before he slams on the anchors that final time because there was three applications of the brake it yeah. was the third one that was significant enough to measure an amount of g force and this 2. was 2.9 g's yeah 2.9 g's is a reasonable amount of force yeah. you know you'd struggle to pull 2.9 g's braking force in your road car yeah um and this was all in aid of not being to make sure that no one was getting to the DRS line first. Yeah. Alex Wirtz, you, I think you quoted this tweet to me as well. Alex Wirtz called it, in a situation like this, DRS should just be disabled for the next lap mm. for those two cars alone, which would set a precedent. I've yeah. never seen DRS disabled for one or two cars. It's the whole field or not. But yeah. it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And let's also not forget, it was just yeah. off the back of a couple of virtual safety cars and a full course safety car and a red flag and everything else that had happened. So if you see a car like Max Verstappen slow in the way that he did, because it was clear that wasn't mechanical, there's no mm. smoke, there's no anything, it's, it's just a car slowing in the middle of the track, I should imagine the first thing I would do is if I was in Lewis's place is slow down to match and be looking at my steering wheel going, why have I not got a message about VSC? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, because he was legitimately slowing down to the VSC sort of speeds. Yeah. Um, the thing that angered me more about it was after the, you know, little jank to the left, the sharp braking... Mm was the way that as soon as that contact happened, he fucking floored it and yeah. off he went. He was gone. He was. He had no intention of slowing down and letting Lewis through. None. Um, and obviously Helmut then made some bloody remarks that he usually does, whining and bitching, which I think Red Bull have tarnished this season with their way they've gone about things. It's been unsportsmanlike. Um, yeah, very unsportsmanlike, and uh, obviously Helmut then came back and retracted those statements because he was found out to be fucking wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of really set a precedent for how this last race of the season was going to go, um, because it ended up being three wins on the bounce for Lewis to pull him back into title contention, and actually for the first time since 1974... We went into the last race of the season with both of the lead drivers on even points. Obviously, the last one to do it, Clay Regazzoni and Emerson Fittipaldi, uh, which obviously Emerson was in attendance today as well um, mm -hmm. at the race. He was there. Um, there's, there's loads of stuff I want to quickly come back on with that. Mm. Um, first off, because you mentioned Emerson Fittipaldi, yes. and I don't think this is 100% due to the track layout and the issues we were talking about, but let's not forget that Enzo let's Fittipaldi has uh, fractured his heel due yes. to the accident where he drove into the back of Theo Porcher's stationary car. I was looking to mm. see, actually, because I've seen lots from Enzo, but I haven't seen much in the way of condition of how Theo um, is doing. <laughs> Theo was in the races this weekend. He was there. Okay. He was he was back behind the wheel. Um, 
I, I did see him obviously he was still posting um sort of really bigging up Enzo. Um, you know, mm. fair play. It was a horrific accident. Um Yeah. It, it goes somewhere to showing the safety of the cars now. Um obviously the Halo again to some degree helping, uh, stopping a car from coming up the back of you to your face. Um yeah, yeah, it was horrific, and it, it just kind of—it was another one of those though. On a street track, when you get someone who stalls on the grid, where do you go? Because you've really only then got one side, and if that side of the grid's already occupied, you you ain't getting through there. No, you're not. You're not. Um, but the other thing I wanted to come back yeah. on was your your comment about uh, helmets making those mm. comments and retracting them. Equally, there's been comments made uh, by Christian Horner uh, that yeah. haven't been retracted. One that particularly got my goat was that he made a really obnoxious comment before this weekend that if Max had been driving Lewis's car, Lewis would have won the title. Uh, Max would have won the title races and races ago. So. What I fail to understand about that is when you look at the current driver standings, and you know, most people watching this will probably already know mm. the result, but I won't give it away just yet. There are 205 points between Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. So yeah. <laughs> Sergio is miles behind where Max finished. There are a good 180 points, no, 160 points between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. Both of these drivers, both Lewis and Max, have significantly outperformed qualified, experienced, very good, very fast teammates yeah. in the same machinery. I'm fed up of the argument of one car being significantly better than the other. Historically, yeah. Mercedes has been slightly faster in a straight line than everyone else, but equally, an Adrian Newey chassis is a wonderful thing, and historically, the Red Bull has been much better yeah. through the corners and had greater aerodynamics than everybody else. So it's been yeah. a bit of a 50-50. There are some tracks that favour one car more than the other, but we can't take away from the fact that Max and Lewis have been the cream of the crop, have been pushing each other so hard this year that they have left the rest of the field... Mm just destroyed them and you can see well, that in most races by the time yeah. the first pit stop comes they've got a full pit stops gap to be able to pit in change tires and get back out in the lead without losing a position that's yeah. how fast they have been when their teammates in equal machinery have been so far behind yeah, yeah it's, it's a very valid point um because i think you know I just don't, you know i don't believe all this crap i mean obviously you know i get where that sentiment of Oh, one car and like so when they compare, aren't they, Lewis to Valtteri in the same team? There, yeah, there was that comparison always. Oh, well, Lewis always gets the you know the better parts and all that kind of stuff. Modern Formula One isn't like that it's now. Not. You know, that was a thing that pride predominantly. If you think back to Michael Schumacher, Rubens Barrichello era, yeah. where Schumacher would get preference on the new parts compared to Barrichello, that that was a thing because back then. The development race was a hell of a lot more influential than it is now because now it's more regulated and you can't yeah. get away with doing all that shit. Well, you know, fucking hell, back in like 2000 and the you know, late 90s, you'd start the season with one car and then revert to spec B for the next phase and sometimes even a spec C car before the end of the season is out. You're basically driving three different cars and yeah. that's not the case anymore. Now they're regulated to, with such a degree that... You might occasionally get a new front wing over a teammate, mm. but it's never like a you know like they say. 
you know, it's yeah. it's never like that kind of shit. So I don't believe in all that bullshit. No, I don't um, either. The days of preferential treatments are largely gone. There's yeah. some budgetary concerns. So, you know, I know Hass made complaints about oh. one person getting a chassis, one person not, but yeah. uh, let's let's talk about that later. Um, oh, yeah. But if you go back to the fact when the times when Formula One teams could test throughout the season and have development yeah. throughout the season, but even more so, the telling factor for me was back in the day when they had the T-car. So, yes. you know, and we saw this at Brands Hatch mm. and places where Nigel Mansell was involved in a massive wreck and the car was destroyed and he ran back to the pits and got in the T-car. Mm. But it was also very common that you'd go back to get in the T-car and find that it was set up for the team's number one driver. Yeah. You know, Rubens and Eddie Irvine had this load where they would go back to the mm -hmm. pits and find that the car was set up for Michael Schumacher. And they'd yeah. have to adapt because there was no time to change exactly. it around. Yeah, they ain't going to be changing pedal placements and all that kind of stuff in that time. It is a case of, mate, you have to get in and deal with it. Yeah, it's what it is. Um, but obviously, we're not allowed T-cars now. That is another thing. You know, that's another thing that's long, long gone. I mean, that got phased out years ago now. Um, uh, for those of you, obviously, that don't know about T-cars, just, just go and have a little look at that. There's plenty of footage out there of drivers sprinting back. I think the iconic one that stands out for me, I don't know if you recall this, I think it's going to be around sort of 2000, 2001. I know who you're going to say. 2001, Monaco, and there was the five drivers jogging down the harbour front. Olivier Panis uh, was one of them, and then there's a whole raft of other drivers, and they're all running back to the pits to get in the T-card. Obviously, one of the teams had both drivers now, and it was the case of, well, the car's set up for him this weekend, so he's getting in it. And it's just, just absolutely mental that we were even in that situation in those days. I remember um, seeing Montoya, you know, his car dying oh, on the grid, God. being pushed back in, and then him running to get to the team. And, yeah. And I don't yeah, think he, yeah. he was... Was he then pulled in after a few laps and disqualified from the race because he was too late getting into the T-car? There was something Yeah, there. so there was something because by the time he had actually got into the T-car, the grid was already forming up. Mm. So they'd left it too late to make that decision of get out of the car and get in the T-car. If Williams had made that decision sooner, he would have been still in the race. Uh, of course, the 2001 Malaysia Grand Prix was that one that was absolutely monsoon rain. And we had, uh, we had both arrows at one point running near the podium, which was just being insane and Yano truly leading the race and spearing off at the hairpin into the gravel uh yeah remember gravel <laughs> yeah don't see that anymore oh. so thanks to reddit if if reddit is to be, mm. be believed and i think it's generally fairly good yeah, uh, it's generally good 2008 was when oh. t cars were banned oh there you go so lewis hamilton's championship year then yeah so lewis would have known what it was like yeah. to have a t car um yeah. in 2007 when he was driving with alonso yeah, I mean, imagine that these days. Like, it sounds weird to say these days, but imagine having to go to a race weekend and prepare three cars, three cars. Imagine if you're Hass trying to prepare three cars, or even like, let's go back a few years. Imagine the likes of Caterham and Virgin Racing and that trying to prepare a third car on their budget. They just I mean, wouldn't have bothered. They just wouldn't have no. bothered. They would have left it with <laughs> the two cars and just thought, how to sod it. If, I, if a car yeah. fails, it's tough shit. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't got the money for this shit. You no. know. Um, so, yeah, Jeddah was... I'm concerned because... It's, it's, it's towards the front of the calendar next year, isn't it, Jeddah? They've it, actually yeah. moved it. 
it's because um, it wasn't it wasn't a completely finished track from a point of view of infrastructure yeah. and around it but the, the track itself is not, it's not good. it's not fit for purpose we said this last year when we saw the proposed track for vietnam and Jeddah yes. for me is is almost a, a lift and shift of what vietnam was going to be and it's we have found over the years human modern tracks don't have the same racing ability as some of the classics mm. you know there's no way anyone would consider removing silverstone monza spa god even bloody monaco from the circuit partly because wow. monaco brings in too much money spa's probably the most dangerous and therefore is most likely to go and that we know they're making changes to eau rouge after the yes. excellence this year but you can't remove some of these iconic tracks because they are what makes formula one what it mm. is um, yeah, they're, they're the purebred facilities you know the, the history uh, i mean christ for god forbid imagine them removing monza off of the calendar i mean uh would go mental over that well, I mean, obviously, I don't want to get away from Jeddah too much yet because we do need to talk about mm. the the massive foul ups that uh, <laughs> that the FIA made. But I want to talk about one of the greatest tracks for racing and one of the tracks that delivered the best this year, which we haven't talked about yet, which is Brazil. Yes, um, Brazil was yeah, that was good. Sao Paulo um, was mega. Yeah, At that that was something else. But, I mean, um, one of the things, I mean, Sao Paulo, there was plenty of action, plenty of overtaking. It's a fast, high-paced lap at the best of times. Um, it did contain a sprint race this time round, which did. I'm not a particular fan of. I, I don't really mm. see the appeal. But what it did give was after penalty after penalty after penalty that Lewis was given for their uh, 0.02 mil of a gap in their rear wing, which is just ridiculous... Um, it gave Lewis the opportunity to plough through the field in the sprint yeah. race and then still plough through the field in the race. So 25 places yeah. with the grid penalties and that boy brought it home in first place. Yeah. Uh, the way he just... To be honest, that was... For me, that was the proving point that, um, you know, people possibly saying, oh, Lewis losing interest now and all that kind of stuff. No, he's not. No, he's not, not losing slightest. interest in the slightest and for those that say he can't overtake that there i mean lo and behold going back and looking at his gp2 race in turkey when he's you know spun and came back through the field to finish second mm -hmm. to do it in a formula one race with supposedly you know the top 20 drivers in the world that are all there together to do that in amongst all of those guys and come through uh, in the sprint race from last to fifth and then in the main race obviously from fifth to first and in such a way that despite Verstappen running him off the bloody track um, and still wins it by over 10 seconds I mean for Christ's sake man like the guy was absolutely on fire that weekend absolutely on fire he, he absolutely was he was driving mm. out of his skin it was a, a an absolutely superb performance and of course there's two there's two great talking points from brazil that we need to touch on um i'll start with the my favorite of the two which is sebastian vettel parking up behind lewis's car <laughs> in park yeah. ferme and saying i'm <laughs> gonna go and touch his rear wing and then being told oh don't do that seb very expensive <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. I'll touch the front wing. Maybe that's only 25 grand. 
yeah, I'd, I'd say, and that that was another little highlight for me with Vettel this year. He's kind of just, just, it's just himself now. He's not, he's not that playboy, you know, all out wannabe Red Bull superstar. He's just, he's relaxed. He's relaxed. He's enjoying just being a Formula One driver. Um, and, do, do you know uh, what? He's... I'm I'm going to be really clear here. Do you know what did it for me? It was Seb being teammates with Kimmy. Kimmy's rubbed off on him. That's what did it. Yeah. Do you know what? Actually, you're probably right, because from then he's changed. He has been yeah. a completely different person. He has. I don't know. Maybe he went on a few nights out with Kimmy, and he just sort of showed him the ropes a bit, you know, do it finish side. Bwah. Bwah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I... Yeah. Seb is now the father of the grid, really. Uh, I know we've got Alonso there, but he's... He's not the father figure, you know. He's no, he's not. Alonso's always been very much out for himself a little mm. bit. Um, I sort of, you know, I've I've run hot and cold with Fernando over the years. I respect him as a driver, but some yeah. of his actions are not not what are, are in keeping well, with my morals or my values. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing that did make me chuckle a little bit was the press headlines after Alonso obviously got that podium. I mean, part of that was down to luck, uh, obviously. You <laughs> part, know, part. He wasn't, yeah, wasn't wasn't legitimately the third fastest car on track, if I remember. No way. But he finishes on the fucking podium anyway, and then the press come out with all this bullshit about, oh well, you know, if Alpine make a good car next year, Alonso's going in for his third world championship. And I'm thinking, where are the like he's had one podium finish on his like return. Ocon won a race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know, I know the circumstances and all that were, were fucking all over the place that race. But his teammates a race winner in that car. He's not. You would you would have put it down for Alonso to be the driver in that position, not not Ocon. You would. But, well, I'm, I'm just actually having mm. a quick look to see. Oh, in fairness, Alonso did finish above Ocon in the end he of did. the year standings. Yeah, but not by yeah. much. You know, Alonso's 10th, Ocon's 11th. There's not much yeah. in it. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's you know, yeah, it's, it's not like a massive difference. He hasn't, like, completely wiped the floor with him. No, he's not done what Gasly's done to uh, Sonoda. <laughs> right, I mean, and that said, though, very weirdly, Sonoda started the season really well yeah. with his first race and the points, and ended it with a fourth place finish. Yeah, he did. He did. He's... He was on the pace all weekend. It really, I just, he's your typical, I don't want to say it, but he's your typical sort of, I don't want to say he's a tacky Inui. <laughs> yes, you do. That's exactly what you want to say. I, I want to say he's like, he's like a Yukio Katayama, has flashes of pace, <laughs> but then disappears into the absolute mire of the midfield for the rest of the season. And spins off frequently and crashes frequently. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll see a bit better next season. I don't know. I, I'm not convinced with Yuki. Um, no. I, I, I had high hopes. I thought he started really well and, and things were looking promising. And then, yeah, he just went missing yeah. throughout parts of the mid-season. Um, yeah. But the, th the thing is, when you have a teammate... I mean, what's Pierre Gasly? He's had... 7th, 10th, 10th, 6th, 3rd, 7th, 9th, 5th, 6th, 4th, you know, these are all in a row. And he yeah. qualifies P4 week in, week out anyway. So when yeah. you've got a teammate who's doing that on the regular, 
you should be there or thereabouts with your car. Yeah, well, I mean, on the subject of Pierre, obviously, you mentioned the qualifying P P four. He <laughs> qualified in the top six on fifteen occasions this season in a twenty three race calendar in a car that you wouldn't ever put as being right up there in the mix. You'd think those slots would be filled with the McLarens, the Ferraris, you know, maybe the Alpines. Alfa Tori was always kind of that lower midfield car, but he is done wonders and probably one of the most underrated drivers this season I would say he's done oh. a spectacular job for Alfa Tori. One of the most underrated drivers most seasons mm. in fairness but yeah no, I, I absolutely yeah. agree but come on um, let's let's circle back we haven't talked about the big mm, incident in Brazil the yet big incident. Um, I'm assuming you're going in for the running off of the track incident oh no no I was talking about Fernando Alonso pulling out a deck chair from four years ago of course I'm talking about the running off the track incident come on you you know oh, you know what my opinion is on this what's what's your opinion mm. on it uh, you can't drive someone off the track <laughs> it, in what world in what world was that acceptable yeah. and goes unpunished I'm sorry, in the days of Charlie... We've said this many times on this channel, and we will continue to say it, because as far as I'm concerned, Charlie Whiting was God. And, frankly, we would not have seen that. It would have been a fucking slam-dunk penalty. It probably slam would have been dunk. a drive-through. Because yeah. what if that had been gravel? You know, we talked about yeah, well, this a few yeah. times. If if that was gravel yeah. rather than runoff. Oh, so, for me... Well, and this thing for you. Go on. I think if that was gravel, <coughs> he would have turned into the bloody corner. That's yeah. what I think. Oh, 100%. <laughs> For um, me, because there is yeah. there is some confusion about this. If two cars are side by side going into the corner, and the, this car is the inside line, which is faster, this car is perfectly entitled to run this car out of road. That's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. When you look at this Brazil corner, the cars went into the corner like this, and what Max did was consciously break yeah. as late as he possibly could well mm -hmm. later than he possibly could to mean that he made it to the apex before lewis knowing he wouldn't make the corner which caused lewis to run off the track that's not allowed i mean it, we, we see this in sim racing all the time this is lunging yeah, you can't yeah. do that it is not a fair or legitimate overtake it is bullshit mm -hmm. and it is how massive accidents happen um yeah. how it went unpunished is beyond me um, yeah. Mercedes obviously tried to push that for a while, but we're on a hiding to nothing. And then, of mm -hmm. course, it continued on. We saw the same shit at Saudi Arabia. They were same a bit Saudi closer Arabia. with same it. Same shit today. Same it's, shit today. Yeah. Well, the exact same shit today. It's set a precedent now. It has. You, but this one today, yeah. this one today, we, I really struggle with because we watch F1 on Sky Sports. Yeah, we do. And the drivers that were commentating on Sky Sports about this were somewhat split. Damon mm. Hill and Nico Rosberg, both former world champions, thought yes. it was it was fine. It was it was, you know, it was a bad move. It was fine that Lewis took to the runoff and everything was okay. Yeah. Jensen Button, another another Formula One world champion and a former teammate to Lewis, thought it wasn't fine. But when you watch, because there was a helicopter replay of that corner, Max yes. is two car lengths behind yeah, yeah. and just lunges it up there. There's absolutely no way he's making that corner. No. He barely turns it back at the last second and loses a significant amount of time in doing so. But where was the other car supposed to go? Exactly. You can't. At that point, 
I mean, Hamilton is trying to turn into that corner. Yeah. And then it suddenly sees this Red Bull side pod slamming up the inside. If he didn't turn out and shoot across that corner, then frankly, we would have had a massive pile up. Everyone would have been wiped out. And that would have been the title fight done, dusted there. Well, it would have been, and it would have been um, dusted in Max's favour, which is why yeah. he could afford to take the risk. I mean, okay, I think we are we're we're naturally moving into talking about this race, aren't we? We are. Yeah. So Max obviously put himself in a really bad position from flat spotting his tyres. Hang on, I need to check how long we've we been recording for. Thirty-six minutes, right? I might put a timestamp in. <laughs> For the audio, so people know when we're talking about today's race and once we finish catching up. Max made a, a really poor decision in qualifying two. I don't know why he felt it was necessary to go for the second run. I know the track yeah. was evolving. I don't think it was necessary, but they did it anyway. And he flat-spotted his tyres, which meant his only option was to go to the softs. Now, in theory, whilst the soft is not the better race tyre, he should have got off the line quicker. And mm -hmm. he should have been quicker for the first four or five laps quite easily before the tyre deg started to kick in and the mediums might have been status quo. Yeah. Lewis, quicker reactions, got off the line quicker and was away. Max didn't have an answer to him on the no. soft tyre. So it, it actually... And what I see online is, oh, it would have been a different race anyway if Max had got in front. No, fucking wouldn't. No, it no, wouldn't. Exactly. Because it, no. all that would have happened is Lewis would have had to wait till lap two till DRS kicked in. As soon as DRS kicked in, he would have been well within a second because he was clearly the faster car. He just would have sailed past him with DRS, as, assuming there was no accident and Max didn't do something stupid because we saw the weaving of Max Verstappen mm. again today, which I really yep. irks me. Just, um, and, and that would have been it. Lewis would have disappeared off, off the road again. He just would have been a couple of laps further behind. It wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference. Lewis had the faster car today. He was the faster driver. He's the one who deserved the win. Certainly. No, I completely agree. Um, yeah. I, I was absolutely appalled, to be honest. I mean, the way... And you can see the difference. So I'm going to bring a bit of Jeddah back in. Hmm. Um, you can see the difference in how both of these drivers have handled this. Mm -hmm. You've got the immature, albeit very talented, Max Verstappen. <laughs> he's he's not he's not near his maturity yet. Whether he'll fully mature, I don't know. Um, there's some serious question marks about that. Um, and obviously Hamilton, which Hamilton's obviously had to adapt to being more aggressive just because of how aggressive Verstappen's been. Hmm. If you look at Jeddah, it's the same tactics again that have been used today with that very outlandish, I'm just going to lunge it into the apex of the corner and whether you like it or not I'm coming down here and just going for it which I, they should be clamping down on this because that's not overtaking that's not you know, that's not a legitimate attempt at an overtake, you are basically flinging yourself up the inside and just basically praying then at that point that yeah. the other guy is going to see you, that is not that's not racing that is being big-headed and bone idle uh and we've seen it go catastrophically wrong when it oh. goes wrong it it is horrendous it is horrendous um I agree. you know and and what this is going to do is with the fia quite obviously quite happy to let this continue um which we'll get on to race directors and stuff probably at some point in this because we've got a big gripe with this this season um uh, 
Where do I go with it? I mean, because it's, it's just like, all it's going to do is it's going to, it's, it has set a precedent because we've now seen it happen repeatedly since Brazil. Mm. It's just been a steady, steady chunk. Well, if F1 are doing this, what does it say to the younger drivers that are going to be coming through? They're going to be, you know, you see it in Forza lobbies. If people <laughs> start chucking it down the inside, everyone starts chucking it down the inside. Yeah. And you end up with an absolute clusterfuck. Is this the driving standard we want to be setting for the premier tier of motorsport in the world? Is this really the example we're going to be setting? Because if it is, we are going to see some horrendous accidents coming up in a few years. Um, and frankly, I don't know about you, but I don't tune in to watch Formula One to see cars spearing into each other because, ah, well, you know, Max lunged up the inside, so I thought I'd do it. You know, it's... Yeah, and let's not forget, Max has been chastised, told off, given penalty points for his overtakes and his defence on a number of occasions. You know, the rules are you may make one move to defend your position and then return to the racing line. We've seen Max on three occasions I can think of Mm -hmm. be reprimanded by the stewards or given penalties for making more than one move. He's been told off for weaving. He's been told off for moving to defend in the braking zone or cutting across people in the braking Mm -hmm. zone. Um, And similarly, his, his attack is the same. Now, Originally, I always thought this was really exciting for Max Verstappen because he brought a different element. He was going to go for it and, you know, he was gung-ho. And, you know, the contradiction in me is I was a big Senna fan back in the day and Senna could be a bit like this. Senna would show you a wheel and if you didn't jump out the way, you'd have an accident. But but if you did jump out the way, he'd know next time he's got you. So there are lines here. But for me... Two cars, you know, coming up side by side or alongside each other or, or nose to tail is is one thing to make that last minute dive at the last second. To be two or three cars behind yeah. and be going for it in a way that there's absolutely no possibility that you're going to make the corner yourself. That's just getting that's getting your elbows out, your fists out, your legs out and pushing someone out of the way. This is not a demolition derby. These are not no. bumper cars. This is racing. Um, yeah. And those are the two differences for me. If this was NASCAR, yeah, not a problem. Show them a door. Hell, if it was touring cars. we But yeah. touring touring cars have cut down on this. We're going a bit off topic yeah. here. But back in the day, it used to be a perfectly legitimate tactic oh. in touring cars to use help yourself to some of the cars in front's brakes and push them. And then that creates the door for you to go up the inside. We saw this all the way throughout the super touring era. It happened everywhere. It's no longer allowed. It's actually in the rules that you can no longer do this. And if you do, you must give the place back because it's not fair, legitimate racing. Yeah. Um, and in Formula One, it's even worse because these cars are doing 200 miles an hour. They can the flip. They are fragile. Yeah. And as we've seen in the past, we are hoping next year's regulations will change this dramatically. But as we've seen in the past, it only takes a little bit of damage to the floor, a little bit of aerodynamic damage, and that car's going nowhere. We saw it with Max in Hungary. It looked like a shark had taken a bike out, a bite out the side of his car. Yeah. But where did he finish Hungary? In fact, I'm going to have to go and have a look now. Max Verstappen, Hungary. He finished P9. Yeah, exactly. The only the only race that he was classified lower than, lower than was Azerbaijan, where he was classified as 18th. In fairness, he crashed out of Azerbaijan. 
So he actually didn't finish. He just did enough laps to be classified as finishing. Mm. So Hungary was his lowest finishing position all year. And that was entirely down to aerodynamic damage to the car. You can't do that. It just ruins the whole race. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Michael Massey, who is the race director, for Mm. those of you that don't know, uh, Michael Massey obviously took over the helm with Charlie Whiting's untimely, you know, passing away uh, on the eve of the Australian Grand Prix um, uh, a couple of years ago now. Um, yeah, it was. And Michael Massey has set himself an awful precedent. So initially, there was a lot of praise that he was just letting races get on with it and all that kind of stuff. However, that kind of lax approach now has really sort of come back to, in my opinion, firmly bite him in the arse because now he's he's too wishy-washy with decision-making, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no clear-cut, right, this is it, give the position back. No ifs or buts, give the position back, do it now, or you're getting a penalty. A- end of discussion, yeah, there was none of that. There was no minarino over safety cars and virtual safety cars and all this kind of stuff. It was just clear cut, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Um, now, Martin Brundle touched on this um, and said that uh, Mr. Massey needs to surround himself with people like Charlie Whiting did. Yeah. Um, you know, Charlie Whiting's right hand man was Herb Blash. Uh, Herbie Blash had obviously been in the sport for an equal amount of time. But he was the trusted right-hand man of Mr. Charlie Whiting. Obviously, Herbie has retired and has stepped away from Formula One. Uh, You know, these guys were getting on, let's be honest. You know, they were getting on. But Michael Massey is coming in and he's, he's trying to keep everyone happy. Now, frankly, as a race director, your job isn't to make everyone happy. Not in the slightest. Your, Your job is to enforce rules Mm. and regulations that are clearly set out by the organizing body in this instance the fia now i'm going to bring this into here today because this is the big big talking point obviously the way that this grand prix has ended yeah and it all stems from you know and on this subject actually before i go into this um the Nicholas Latifi obviously had a pretty big hit into the wall with his dirty tyres after the little battle with uh, Mick Schumacher mm-hmm. uh, getting run wide. There has been an obscene, and I mean obscene, an obscene amount of abuse from Lewis Hamilton fans to Nicholas Latifi and all of his social medias. Yeah, Just fucking stop. Just stop yeah. it. We've said it before throughout the season for this shit. Just, just stop. There's no need for it, all right? It was it was quite clearly a racing incident. You know, it was nothing to do with the fact he was helping out X, Y, Z, and all these conspiracy bullshit theories. He's had a fucking accident, and thankfully he's got out all right. Unfortunately, he's had the accident in a really fucking dangerous place where there is no opportunity for it to be, you know, whatever it was going to be, safety card and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But guys, just just don't don't be sharing hate. We're we're in a day and age where we're meant to be cracking down on this. Yeah, absolutely. The whole be um, kind movement. But I, yeah, we were discussing, weren't we, throughout this race? We were we were having some discussions throughout this race, and um, 
<laughs> the, the stewards and race directing inconsistencies continued. I think that's the only way we can really, really describe it. Um, I mean, I would describe it a little bit more bluntly, and I would say that yeah, this, the, the race result here was determined by the FIA, not yeah. by the drivers. And you know what? That's not even my opinion. That's the opinion no. of Christian Horner. Because Christian Horner said, we need a miracle from the racing gods in order to do anything here. Well, that miracle came. And part of it, you pushed for, Christian, because not only did the accident happen and the safety car came in, you mm -hmm. got on your high horse and started saying to race control that they needed to let lap cars go and they needed to do this, that and the other. Um, Mercedes were notably very quiet at that point. Yeah. I've seen yeah, people yeah. talking about the fact that Toto had been saying we don't need a safety car, but that's bullshit because for those of us that watched the race, Toto Wolf said that about 20 laps earlier when yeah, there was well, a different incident. incident. Yes, incident. it was... Yeah. Oh, was it when George Russell retired? There was something, but the car was well uh, off the... Giovinazzi. Giovinazzi. Yeah. Car was well off the track. Problems. Wasn't a danger. Um, just need to roll it back. It did, exactly. So, yeah, people are already starting to take that out of context and social media, yeah. and that really yeah. annoys me. So, that wasn't what Toto said. In fact, there was no Mercedes team radio that I'd heard at all. But then, you know, let's call a spade a spade. The rules say, and this is what Mercedes' argument has been as well, the rules say that lapped cars may overtake or may not overtake mm -hmm. is a race control decision. One or the other. Yes. yes. He did say that race, uh, race cars could, uh, lapped cars could not overtake. Fine. That was the call he made. He was challenged by Red Bull on that and he backed down and said that lapped cars could overtake. But he only allowed the five cars between Lewis and Max to overtake, not to everyone else behind them. The rule also states that once lap cars have overtaken, the safety car will follow into the pits the following lap, not the same lap, because that gives the lapped cars and slower car traffic enough time to get round the clear circuit and catch up with the back of the train. That's the whole idea behind this, so that you're not, as the lead car, running back into this lap traffic again in a second's time. Neither of those rules were followed, and from what I understand about the post-race investigation, the FIA agreed that those rules were not followed, but that the only option would be to revert to one lap before the race had ended, and because of that, they won't mm. maintain the race distance, therefore they won't retrospectively change the result now and i'm being really clear here i know i'm ranting a bit and you're sitting quietly steve but i need, no, to, I need to get this off my chest i'm being really clear here i don't want the race result changed no. the race has been run the race is done it shouldn't have it, it's left a really sour taste and that's not the way it should have been decided but i am not a big fan in changing the race result after the race has happened partly because part of the excitement of winning world champion winning a world championship is that bit in the car getting out the car jumping celebrating being on the podium getting that in a by letter in the post in a week's time that's not as exciting i wouldn't want no. that so no. i don't want the race result changed the race result shouldn't be changed but the fia needs to on record officially put their hands up and go do you know what it was us we fucked this up and their other option here that there's two other options that have been expressed to me which i thought actually would have been a much better way to do this they could have red flagged it. Yeah. 
the the accident was bad enough it was across the whole track it was right on the racing line they could have red flagged it allowed everyone to change tires in the pit lane and restart and then they could have had three laps to slug it out between them i think we all would have wanted to see that a three lap yeah. showdown and actually that would have been great for your ratings as well which is what this is all about at the moment the other option is they should have just let it finish under the safety car yeah. Because it Which has or, happened before. It's but, happened before. Of course it has. But yeah. you know, those though or the other option is don't let the lap cars pass and restart the race. But you know, those options could have happened and it wouldn't have been the FIA dictating the race result. Mm. What they actually did was they went against their own rules, their own guidelines, their own policies, because they wanted a one lap finale because it's great for viewerships and ratings. But it, at that point, it was a complete mismatch. Lewis's hard tyres had done, what, 38 laps? Max was on yeah. soft tyres that had done two laps. I mean, that's that's David and Goliath at that point. Lewis was toothless to defend. It was pointless. And even being toothless to defend, we still saw Max weaving like a motherfucker down those straights. Yeah, this this race yeah. was... this For me... If I mean, if I was Toto, I'd be stotting mad. Um, but yeah. for me, this is the race that would turn me off from Formula One. I, I, you know, I question whether I want to be a fan of a sport that can allow this kind of hypocrisy mm -hmm. to creep in. But if I was Mercedes, I'd also be questioning whether I want to continue my involvement in it. You know, we, they might yeah. have already developed a car for next year, and maybe they'll decide to be in next year. But maybe Mercedes go, do you know what? I think if, if this is the way you want to run your organisation and want to run your sport, it is not something one, we want to be a part of. And that would be a huge, mm. huge loss to the sport. Not yeah. because they are the biggest team going, not because it's one less car on the grid, but because they provide engines to nearly 50% of the grid. Yeah. That yeah, would be a problem. If lost that, it would be a, an absolute game changer. Uh, but no, I completely agree. Um, we're in the situation where we are now. Um, Max Verstappen is a Formula One world champion. It hasn't been done the right way. It hasn't been gone about the right way. And you know what? If I was in Verstappen's position, this championship victory would actually, to me personally, feel quite hollow. Yeah. Um, it it would be tarnished. What are, you know, the ones I would feel legitimately good about is winning it on track without all of this fucking drama um because uh, i'll read out the article the conclusions of the stewards hmm. uh, which was posted by uh rachel brooks obviously the sky sports uh presenter okay. who she does bits and pieces for f1 she was there again uh this weekend um so she was obviously as as they do has been provided this so the stewards consider that the protest is admissible yeah. Um, based on everything that had been put forward. Uh, so having considered the various statements made by the parties, the stewards determined the following. Okay. So the article 15.3 of the sporting regulations allows the race director to control the use of the safety car. That's yeah. never been questioned. We have never had that question. That's not a problem. No, it needed, um, it needed a safety car yeah, or something. You couldn't continue yes. the race with Latifi's car there. No. No, because if someone had ploughed into him while he's trying to get out of the car, God forbid, yeah. you know. Um, so, which in their determination includes its deployment and withdrawal. That's fine. Send it out, send it back in, whatever. Um, they also then go on to say that, that although Article 48.12 of the Sporting Regulations 
may not have been fully applied. This is the allowing of lapped vehicles, mm. master leaders. So uh, may not have been fully applied in relation to the safety car returning to the pits at the end of the following lap, which is what we were all pointed out. Mm -hmm. Article 48.13 apparently overrides this. And once that message has been sent, which declares safety car in this lap, that overrides the rule of allowing lapped cars to catch up to the back of the pack. Very contradictory. Um, it is mandatory then at that point, once you have declared that, that the safety car must be pulled in at the end of the lap. That declaration has been made. Now, surely, if the hazard is still present, they could extend that. Well, in theory, well, or if another I, hazard I, was created. The thing is, what I don't get is they say it overrides that. So why has it never been done before? We have had plenty of opportunities before where lap cars have been let through, all of them have been let through, but we haven't just immediately gone, right, we're going racing again now. Mm. We've always waited that extra full lap, which is what the rule states. There must be a following lap that allows them to catch up. The stewards then end this by saying, uh, that notwithstanding Mercedes' request that the stewards remediate the matter um, by changing the classification to reflect the positions at the end of the penultimate lap before this decision had been taken. This, the stewards believe, is effectively shortening the race in retrospect and hence do not believe it is appropriate. But they do agree. The evidence is all there. The evidence is fully there to be agreed with. Now, mm. they do say that, that in here, then they say, obviously, the, the, the speech about accordingly the protest is dismissed on that basis. Um, obviously, if you have got Mercedes AMG F1 on Twitter, you will see that they have announced that they are appealing the decision yeah. and it is going to the next stage they had 72 um, hours i think to lodge that appeal and they yes. said as soon as they left the stewards that they would yeah so that has formally been done that's been confirmed on their social medias that that has been put in um obviously the fia have kind of there is potential that this could get out of hand obviously yeah, could. Um, could get very messy it could get messy because the stewards have effectively confirmed in the announcement that they agree with the evidence that's been put forth by Mercedes. Yeah. Just that they as the stewards are not willing to wind the race lap back a lap. Yeah. That doesn't say that it's impossible to rewind it back a lap. That just says that the steward panel for that event will not do that. Well, there is a precedent for this. You go back a lap, let's say it's not complete. Well, I mean, 75% yeah. is what they'll consider full race distance. But half points can be awarded for less than that. And they roll back. Which would still be enough to give yeah. Lewis the title in that respect. Now, I'm, again, I'm going to reiterate, I don't, I don't want, want to see that happen. No, no, I don't want to see it changed because the fallout from it is going to be horrific for a yeah. start. Um, but this is what Mercedes are pressing for, rightly or wrongly. Mm. Now, whether they'll feel about it differently when they wake up the next morning and they have their boardroom discussions and all of that kind of stuff, whatever. Yeah, the, the, at this stage, the appeal is lodged. Yeah. If the appeal body, which will have the power, they will have the power to make the final decision on this. Mm. If they decide, well, you've agreed with the evidence... So the only thing we can legitimately do for a fair result is wind it back a lap. Mm. They have the power to do that. And this could get very messy then because then we're going to see another appeal from Red Bull, mm -hmm. which then this is going to get drawn out into a massive 
sporting court of whatever it is, um, or not arbitration. Well, I mean, it could be bordering on bringing the sport into disrepute. Yeah, could do. You know, but yeah, let's let's be real about it. And the implications of that for Formula One would be horrific. What concerns me is, is this, in their official announcement, the stewards have agreed with the evidence, but then said, "Well, there's nothing we can do about it." Which, if you're appealing that, that adds more grounds to your appeal. In us, in essence, if you're the team appealing, I would say so. I'm not looking forward to seeing the fallout from this. And then also, you know, what does that mean then for stewards going forwards? Because are these are you saying then that these stewards are incapable of stewarding a race event? Is that what we're saying? Is that where we're going with this? So, you know, are we saying the race director can't race direct, which obviously we've got our opinions on. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> but it opens up a can of worms. It, it really does. It does, and, and you know, Formula I'm, One you is know. not alone in this. You know, I was watching, I was watching tweets roll in from Formula Racing, former racing drivers of various disciplines, rally, touring cars, etc. Um, it seemed to to me to be eighty percent in favour of the FIA have fucked this up, and twenty percent yeah. saying, "Well, it is what it is." Max did a great job, um, but. Yeah. I've also seen, you know, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, you know, other footballers and stuff are saying this is not uncommon. We see exactly the same in football with VAR. You know, mm. the the ability to make these quick, fast-paced decisions that change the 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 way a game goes, and to still cock them up somehow. You know, VAR's yeah. made a few high-profile cock-ups over the years. Oh yeah, still happens, but it does bring into question that the decisions being made in Formula One at the moment are being made too slowly mm-hmm. not necessarily following the letter of the law and there right. has been huge inconsistency throughout the year this all needs to change i i personally and again i'm just going to be really blunt and say it here i think one of the things that should come out of this is that massey should offer his resignation yes i, I think he's shown mm-hmm. since sao paulo at the very least to be incompetent and incapable of running a Formula yeah. One Grand Prix. And I'm not saying I could do a better job. I think I probably could. No, yeah, but I'm not well, saying yeah. I could. Um, but he's clearly shown that he's not able to do it. You know, he's not Charlie Whiting, God rest his soul. Um, and I think we're saying that that needs a complete shake up and that needs someone yeah. new at the helm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Massey's made some very snidey and snarky comments on the radio. He's also received a lot of snidey and snarky comments on the radio. And you know what? I really want that to stop. Um, whoever Jonathan is at Red Bull that gets on his high horse, and you yeah. know, he needs to wind his neck in. Similarly, Toto's not always been the nicest on the radio, but Massey's also sniped back. That shit needs to stop. These are grown-ups, professional, leading their teams, and they need to act as the role models to everyone else that they are supposed to be, not as petulant teenagers yeah. in the school ground. Um, I, that really displeases me a, a great deal. But no, yeah. we we need a complete shake-up of, of how this system runs because it, yeah. it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work, and it detracts from the events itself. Um, and it detracts from the sport that we know and love, yeah. frankly. Um, uh, there, there's more things, obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're not 
purposely berating Michael Massey. We're saying it as we see it. Um, you know, it's nothing against the guy. I'm sure that up until now he's mm. done a tremendous job in everything he's done. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been appointed a race director. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. But it's not just these kinds of decisions that he hasn't cracked down on. There are other elements that he has he's failed to crack down on. And yet again, in the season finale, you know, let's let's look at Jeddah. Mm. This stupid, godforsaken gentleman's fucking agreement of ah, oh, we're all gonna slow down, not overtake each other to do a qualifying lap. Um Yeah. No. It, you you it's fucking dangerous we've seen uh, a lot of near misses with this where we've got people flying in on a on an absolute flyer coming across then a whole snake of cars that are all oh, oh no i'm going first no i'm going first no i'm going first and they're trying to back up to get enough space to do a qualifying run he hasn't cracked down on that he then advised that jeddah between x turn and x turn no overtake no no slowing down and all this bullshit. What mm. he didn't say is though what what was really weird about that is the slowing down that corners he didn't put the last corner in that thing. So obviously they've got out of the literal corner that he said no slowing down and then just gone right slow down. down here. Yeah. Yeah. And Max Verstappen had a near miss with the queue of cars. Um you know he come flying around there and cars all over the place. Mm. We then Saw it again here at Abu Dhabi with a number of drivers missing out on getting a lap in, in Q3 in the end. Because they're all out there again doing this slowing down bullshit. Uh, frankly, I didn't see people taking this amount of liberty when Charlie Whiting was your race director. <laughs> that they wouldn't have dared. Be, they wouldn't know. And... You know, I'm not saying, you know, and I think a lot of this also falls on the teams, um, you know, to show the level of respect to the race director. Mm. But Charlie did have an inherent amount of respect due to the amount of time he'd been in the Formula One paddock. And the fact of you knew exactly where you stood with him. There was none of that grey, shady ground. I mean, you saw it when he held driver briefings before the race events. They'd have the driver briefing... And you'd see it, and he'd be very clear about what's allowed, what's not allowed. You know, he'd answer the driver's questions, but be very clear. No, I'm not going to allow that. This is how it's going to be. Michael Massey is kind of one of these guys that's kind of always open to discussion, all like, oh, you know, oh, we can consider yeah. that. We can look at that. We can work at it. And it's like, at he the end of the day... He can be swayed, and you shouldn't yeah, be. You shouldn't be swayed. You're, you should be very clear in the decisions that you are making for the racing purposes of the sport. Uh, you're know, not there to be anyone's friend, you know. Uh, that that's it. You're not there to be liked. No, of course you're not. And you know what? They, I, I won't. I won't actually mention names or organisations here. But but I worked for an organisation that went through unprecedented growth and became a real big player, and you know, were more than doubled the size of the business in ten years in the time that I was working there. And it was largely down to the MD. The managing director of that company was divisive, but mainly because he was decisive. So rather than take every decision to a committee, he would go, that's the direction of travel. You either come and get in line with me and follow, or you can fuck off and jump ship. I don't care which it is, but that's the way we're going. And it really worked. The company is not doing so well now, and that is largely because that MD left 
and UMD came in and the entire thing was run by committee. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way to do things because you're starting those arguments over, you know, socialism and communism. And, you know, yeah, no, well, let's not go there. Let's not go down that route. But no. having a real clear vision and someone who is decisive at the top of the tree to make those decisions and cannot be wavered yeah. is sometimes a good thing. And I feel that Massey hasn't been... So Charlie Whiting was more like that. His decision yes. was final. There was no yeah. more deciding, no, no more conversation going on with it. Massey's final decision could still, you know, I might, I might flip flap a little bit about it. Well, we saw it. We saw the change initially ruling no lapped cars to overtake. And then in an instant, right, yeah, uh, go, 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 and racing. Uh, yeah. And you know what? The one that sticks in my mind, and I'm slightly going to stick up for Max here, is some bizarre decisions at Jeddah. So Max. Cocked up at turn one. I say cocked mm. up. He might have done it on purpose. I, I don't know. It felt it him. felt we wrong. It felt yeah. wrong. Um, and then the race was red flagged again because of that terrible incident with uh, George Russell, Mazepin, and there was was it Perez got stuck yeah. stuck in the barrier as well. Um, and Massey gave the opportunity to give that place back. Now, first off, that was word, worded wrong. Had that been Charlie yeah. Whiting, he said, listen, that, that incident at turn one, I am unhappy with, and I'm going to take that to the stewards. I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell me what you might choose to do about it before the stewards get involved. You know, there yes. are different ways to go about that. Yeah. But they decided they would revert the cars. Massey also cocked it up because he said, I'm going to give you the opposition uh, chance to start P2. Actually, yeah. what he meant was P3 because he'd forgotten Ocon had taken the lead. So, you know, get your facts right. Little things yeah. like that caused an issue. But after Ma after Red Bull decided to revert and accept Massey's order, effectively, of going to P3 behind Lewis, they still gave him a five-second penalty for that incident later in the race. Yeah. I don't understand that. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. They gave they gave Max another retrospective penalty for the incident where he was slowing down and Lewis ended up hitting in the back of him, and that was right. And yeah, neither right. of those penalties actually affected the race results. That was very fortunate because they were so yeah. far ahead. But you can't you can't change positions back and then still retrospectively give a penalty as well because what what are we doing here? Yeah, what's the point of swapping grid positions then? Yeah. You just wouldn't bother. Yeah. So the next time Massey comes on the radio and says, I'm going to offer you the chance to give that back, no, I'm, I'll stick where I am, Massey, because you're going to give me a penalty for it anyway, so I might as well stay where I am and disappear yeah. out in front and see how it works out for yeah. me. You obviously didn't didn't relay that to the stewards that that was the agreement in place to avoid a penalty. Right? So fuck it. No, do you know what? Fuck off. Yeah, It was, it was stupid. Uh, Massey's it, made it some awful. massive cock-ups. Yeah, he has. He has. It is awful. Um, there's... So many things that have angered me with how this season's played out. So many penalties get dished out as well that just haven't set right, you know, sat right at all. Mm. You know, that it's just been one thing after another, and all these little things have amounted to what we've had now. Mm. Um, you know, little things eventually add up into a big thing once liberties are starting to. Once they see that, oh, he's given us an inch there. Oh, well, well, you know, this is a competitive sport. They're going to take a fucking mile. Of course they are. Once you give them an inch and they see that they can get a performance gain out of something, hell, everyone's going to fucking do it. Hmm. Um, Charles Leclerc was the one who warned, well, this has set a precedent now. This has set a precedent. And lo and behold, this is what we are now faced with. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, 
it yeah, needs it I, needs I, sorting and it needs sorting soon yeah, and you know what i'm gonna be a real old fuddy duddy stick in the mud here and say that someone else's watch this wouldn't have happened on bernie eccleston yeah so bernie as much yeah. as some people love him or, or hate him he is again one of those decisive characters that had a clear vision for where formula one wanted to go and he dragged it by the bootstraps kicking and screaming to get there and he did a fantastic job by all intents and purposes because we're still talking about formula one now and there was a time where it nearly ended up in the in the weeds mm. selling formula one to liberty media obviously has been wonderful for bernie I'm not convinced it's wonderful for the sport. No. And part of and we've that... we've already had management changes with them. We've already had roles change. Absolutely. Uh, so here's, here's, here's my, my analogy for this. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will completely disagree with me on this. I like a good, you know, war documentary on the Discovery Channel or what have you. Ten years ago, they tell you the facts... Now it's become very Americanized, and you know, at the end of the first half, when they go to adverts, they go, "And this could have changed the tide of the war." Come back in fifteen minutes to find out if it did. Well, I don't fucking need to come back in fifteen minutes to find out if it did. That's history. It was seventy years ago. I know how the war ended. Thanks very much. But this, this is what I see. Netflix. Uh, what's no. it? Is, what's it called? Drive to Drive survive. To survive. Yeah, this is the same sort of thing. I've, I've, as you know, I'm not a fan and I don't watch it. But I've watched a couple of episodes and I've watched the unnecessary drama that unfolds. Mm -hmm. And I sit there and think, I watched that race live. This drama was resolved in 37 seconds. What's all this yeah. bullshit about? This yeah. is what Liberty Media are going to do to Formula One. They are going to make it... Yeah drama they're going to want these last lap of the last race to decide the title sort of things because that's what gets viewers yeah but what it does is it attracts the neutral viewer mm -hmm. the stoic passionate supporters of motor racing and formula one that have been following it since they were five years old same as you i suspect yeah are the ones who are going to go this is shit this is not what i signed up for yeah. I'm going to find something else to watch. And they are they are hurting their true-blooded fans yes. to try and gain a more popular audience who will be a fleeting audience. You know, we see this with any TV program. They have peaks and they have troughs because people will flock to it and they'll go, oh, I'm bored of that now, on to the next thing. But by that point, once all the true fans have gone and all the Fairweather fans have gone... There'll be no fucker left to watch it. So they need yeah. to be very careful. But yeah, wouldn't have happened when Bernie was around because he wouldn't have let it happen. No, exactly. He was very clear on everything that he would do under his stewardship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the drive to survive stuff is, is also yeah, is something that um, grinds my gears because they will take team radio from one race and use it to overlay on another race and it's all out of sync. And it's like... Well, I watched this live, and that team radio was from the USA. That was not from Catalonia in Spain, you know. And they just kind of big up this drama that was never there, you know. And, you know, I've not been such a fan of Max this season, but fair play to him for this season. He turned around and said, I am not going to be part of Drive to Survive this season because I don't need the unnecessary drama that doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest... Given how this season's been, I don't think you would need to fucking do the overdrama. There has been plenty of it in Formula One. You know? Hasn't um, just. And so, yeah, part of me is dreading now to see what this new series is going to be like. Because... Oh, 
Yeah. You, you can fill me in, mate, because I'm not going to go anywhere near it. But, you know, uh, I've I've been very critical of a lot of Max's actions this year. I've been very critical of a lot of um, Christian Horner's actions this year mm. as well, and Helmut Marco's. Now, I still stand by those. They've yes. not covered themselves in glory, and they've not been the professionals that they should have been. And Max has certainly had some very bad moments. But what I am going to say is Max didn't put a foot wrong today. He Yeah, yeah. there was there was that lap one incident where he went for it and there was some yeah. weaving on the straight which was unnecessary but aside from that he ran a good clean race and he put his heart and soul into it and he did his best what let down this race today was not lewis was not max was purely the fia yeah it wasn't the teams you know let's get that straight as well you know it wasn't wasn't any of that the overriding feeling i think from the majority of true fans, I'm going to say true fans because I see a lot of these fair weather fanboys and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not into all this, you know, obviously, yeah, have your favorite drivers, but be able to have a mature discussion about things. I mean, Christ, we, we, we somehow manage it. I don't know how, yeah. um, but people were just, uh, I think, was it Carlos Sainz? I think Carlos Sainz mentioned it. It's, um, it's become very polarized. You're either Hamilton camp or you're Max camp, and there's no in between, and you can beat each other's throats, and it's kind of taken away from everything else. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, they haven't been like no one's been angels this season, not a single one. Um, no. But the FIA have a lot, a lot to answer to, as do Liberty Media. Um, they are responsible for Formula One now. Um, yeah, you know, whereas. They've now got, what, 10 different people doing the jobs that one man used to do? You know? I think that says a lot about Bernie and how he went about things. Um, and it's not been the same. No, it really uh, hasn't. It really I, hasn't. I, I just was left with a bad, bad taste in my mouth after this race. Just It just... It was so intense through the opening part of the race. Mm. And it was... You know, it was one of those. It was like I can't believe what I'm witnessing here. Like it, it, it was edge of the seat stuff. Um, you know, I it just it couldn't make it up. And for it to end how it has, it's just very sour, very very sour. And uh, I guess the only way is up from here. Next season, new regulations. It's kind of a fresh start. I'm looking forward to next season. Uh, you know, I, I am. The one thing yeah. that's killed me about these modern Formula One cars, and we've heard it from all the drivers, is is how difficult it is to follow. Yes. Um, and that's no good because actually, let's face it. You know, DRS was introduced because the slipstream was no longer effective because you couldn't follow closely enough to a car for the rest of yeah. the track. Yeah. Something's wrong in your car design if that's the way things are. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, having just that tiniest little bit of a, a wing canard knocked off by a small accident or going over a curb too yeah, hard. That's it. that's it, your race is done because you don't have mm -hmm. the aerodynamic properties you need so I'll be really glad, let's see what next year brings with that reintroduction yeah. of ground effect, less resilience yeah. on traditional aerodynamics I think could yeah. be a really great thing for some much more interesting racing, more overtakes and, and more excitement yeah, it's a much nicer looking design. Um, 
uh, next season. Um, the the car, I I think personally looks fantastic. I'll actually bring one up on the screen for the viewers to have a little look at. I'll just, I'll just go. It's in Hass paint, but I'll just bring it up anyway. Um, let's just bring that up. Oh, Steiner, bloody well. Got Steiner's mug on my uh, screen. Um, but yeah, I'll bring it up there. there there's a uh, 2022 car for you all to see. Um, much, much simpler design. None of these cannon, like you say, cannons and winglets and all this rubbish. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out um, next season. Because I'm hoping it has the desired effect. Because if it doesn't, it's back to the drawing board again and... You know, yeah. Uh, what I want to, what I do truly want to find out though, is how truly restrictive the regulations are. How much freedom have they got? Because we know what these designers are like. If they can fit a little wing in somewhere that's going to give them zero point zero one of a second, they're going to do it. Hmm. Um, so I want to see this. I want to see. You know, I'm sure with every set of rules, we always find initially there are some loopholes. Who's going to be exploiting them? We've already had like you know double diffusers and the F duct and all this rubbish. The F duct, I still uh, think, is one of the God. most genius ones I've ever come across. That was brilliant. Yeah, put your hand over it. You know, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, just drive it one-handed. You know, what a world. But it was just—it was the mindset to think actually, if I can redirect airflow to stall the rear wing, I can go quicker in a straight line. I mean, that—that's yeah. the sort of you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but the out-of-the-box genius thinking that I think is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, truly remarkable. Um, fair play to him. <laughs> I can't fault him. Um, oh, I don't know. I I just hope that we see some changes now. I think they've got mm. no choice now. They very much have their hand forced with this. Um, the rules need to be tidied up and made clearer. They do. Um, the position of the race director needs to be recertified. Um, and teams need to learn what's acceptable, what's not acceptable uh, in regards to going to the race director. Um, to be honest, I, I don't think a race director should be on on call all the bloody time. I don't think that's that's fucking right. No, I don't. Um, because people so, petition the race director that way, and that's that's not right. Do. No. So, um, I uh, shall we rank the drivers? <laughs> I I think we should, but I don't cool. think we should rank them for today's Grand Prix. No, no, no. We should season. do a season ranking. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. Okay. So let me bring this up. So I've got the teams. I've actually just cut the bottom of our faces off, but it's fine. <laughs> um, okay. So, well, shall we? Do you know what? I'm going to start. I'm going to go from bottom to top in terms of the standings. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Okay. Uh, so obviously, right at the bottom, Nikita Mazepin. Abysmal. Yeah, shocking. shocking. Absolute, absolute disgrace. Where yep. is he on my list? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Oh, no. Is it broken? Uh, I think the tier list is broken. Hang on, I'll load up the other one. Um, so, yeah, Nikita Mazepin, absolutely shocking this season. I, I, 
and then to miss the last race, of course, which we haven't actually mentioned. He misses the last race through um, through COVID. Reason we haven't um, mentioned this is because nobody cares. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, oh, for God's sake, that one's awful as well. Um, right, I'm just going to search for one and get a new up-to-date F1 2021 because I need one to include, of course, our uh, substitute as well. Uh, Robert Kubica. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was uh, he was a he was a driver for a couple of races and still placed higher than Nikita Mazepin. So uh, yeah. uh, yes, he did. In fact, I've, I've got the uh, the season results in front of me. Mazepin retired in both of the races that Kubica was part of. Wow. Which was the Netherlands and Italy. Wow. Okay. Here we go. All right. So, it's a slightly different, um, slightly different ruling. So, we're going to rank them from best, talented, good, okay, bad... And basically, they, they've called it go-kart, but shouldn't be on an F1 grid, basically. Let's just put it that way. I might need to write this down. Jesus. Yeah. Let's, so let's just go with insane, good. Let's just go. Yeah, let's go. So we'll go with insane, good, bad, and an absolute rubbish. We'll just go with those. Okay. So Mazepin is absolute rubbish. Yeah, Mazepin is absolutely rubbish. He shouldn't be on the grid. He's undeserving of his place in the car. Um, yeah. Yeah. Get him no, out of here. No further questions, Your Honour. <laughs> yeah, I did, no, to be honest, I completely agree. Um, Mazepin is there for one reason and one reason only. Um, that is money. Um, a bit of daddy's cash, which obviously we, you touched on it, but daddy brought him a new chassis for yeah. the house, which he then crashed. Yeah. So, yeah, well money well spent. Yeah, we knew he'd been um, fighting to say his chassis wasn't as good as Mick's earlier in the year, so his dad ended up buying one. We thought the team had bought it, but it was his dad. It and, of course, dad. what a what an impact it had. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> um, I'll come to Robert Kubica. I don't actually have an image of him. They haven't included him. But um, Robert mm. Kubica, he made two appearances, finished 15th and 14th, which... When you look at Giovinazzi's results... Yeah, he was one place behind Gio in both occasions. Um, yeah. I, I I still think that's okay. I've got a lot of love yeah. for Robert Kubica. He's a good driver, and he's driving with what would be a life-changing or life-defining mm -hmm. injury for some people. The fact that he can even get back in a Formula 1 car and drive it on the pace that he is, I think is absolutely outstanding. So I I can't I can't find a bad way to say a bad word to say about the man really. No. No, fair play to him and also of course special mention that he took the uh LMP2 title as well this season. Did so he? yes, he did. I didn't yeah. know that. Good on him. Yeah. He is a champion again, so should have been a Formula um, One world champion. He was in the way he was in the wings to be a Formula One world champion of the yeah, future. He was, and I feel we've missed out on that. Yeah. Um okay, let's come to Nikita Mazepin's teammate then, Mick. Um best result for Haas this season, a P twelve finish yeah. at Hungary. And fourteenth today. Uh, so I think Mick's had a good year. I think Mick's yeah. had a good year. Because that car is clearly dire. There are times mm -hmm. when he would have been better in the medical car or the safety car than he would have been in the yes. Haas. It's not a competitive car at all. But 
he's he's taken the fight to Nick Latifi. He's had some good tussles. Equally, he's not necessarily been in the way. He's got out the way no. of blue flags as much as possible. Yes, he stuck it in the barrier a couple of times. But you know what? All the best drivers on the grid have stuck it in the barrier a few times because you never Seven. know where the limit is until you overstep it and go into the barrier. And if you don't yep. know where that limit is, you never know how far to push. So, yeah, I think Mick's had a good year. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think he really showed his talents at Hungary with that really mixed-up race. Uh, when, you know, for a few laps now, he was mm. proper sticking it out and going yeah. wheel-to-wheel with some of the best on the grid. Um, yeah, good, good race. And today, more than on the pace of the Williams boys... Um, you know, he was right in the mix with them, which for a car that has been woeful all season is 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 refreshing for to see. Um, yeah. So we're going to come to another man then that's leaving the sport, uh, Mr. Antonio Giovinazzi. I'm not uh, a fan. Two, no, I'm not a fan. Two points finishes all season, three points compared to Kimmy's 10. Yeah, I... I, that has to go down as poor. Has to go down as some yeah. form of underperformance. I think. I think he could have done better. The car's mm-hmm. clearly not as good as it has been in previous years. I get that, but yeah, um, yeah it just it felt like nothing for me from Gio. I I'm personally am not going to miss him on the grid. No, and I think it's fair to say neither am I. Um, uh, I did a quick tally with my other half the other day, and I tallied up that he's only had uh, like eight points finishes in his career out of 60-odd races entered or something ridiculous like that. Mm. And given how the Alfa Romeo was in his first year, he should have been doing a lot better because Kimi was challenging the top five on occasions. Yeah, um, Yeah. Uh, next man on the list then in championship order is going to be Mr. Nicholas Latifi in the Williams. Um, the only man to out-qualify George Russell, uh, and he'd done it again today for a second time. Uh, well, Saturday. Um, his race didn't go so well today, but then Williams no. had an absolute shocker. Um, did. But he was off the pace all race long, Latifi. Um, pace on Saturday, but no pace on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, Latifi uh, has looked much better for me this year than he has in previous years. You know, he had yeah. a good running in Hungary. He had a good running in Belgium, which is what got him the seven points. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, where's he? Latifi finished 17th. He's a couple of places behind George. It, it, it's a it's an average drive in a poor car. I'm I'm still not I'm still not bowled over by Nick Latifi. No, I think next season is his proving year. Um, you know, he he hasn't got the free ride next year. He's you know, and to be honest. It's not exactly he's got like a weak teammate coming in. He's got Alex Albon coming in next to him. Um, obviously, Albon, I know, struggled, but he was consistent. Yeah. Um, I'll be very surprised because Williams would be looking to him with the couple of years under his belt now to be the more senior driver of that lineup. Um, uh, yeah, let's wait and see on the TV next year. Uh, let's see see the order of the cars next year. That's that's going to be a, a, yeah. a better way to start. Um, uh, so, just ahead of the TV, then Mr. Kimi Raikkonen, sixteenth in the driver standings in his final year. Uh, so, I I kind of want to give Kimi two scores. Okay. I think part of me says it was a it was an average to good season. He he was okay. He got involved in a few tussles. I think he was third 
in the list of most overtakes all season. You know, he, he was. It did good. But I also want to give him an outstanding for an amazing career, for years yeah. of competitive driving at the top level, for being a world champion and just an all-round superstar. He's now officially got the most Formula 1 starts of anyone, I think, hasn't he, Kimmy? He, he has. Um, that record will be surpassed next season by Fernando Alonso yes. um, at the two-thirds point of the calendar. Um, but yeah, for now, Kimi is the record holder, of course. He originally superseded Mr. Rubens Barrichello, uh, who had had the former mm. record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Alonso's got another full year of another 23 races, so unfortunately that record's probably going to slip by him, but... Uh, you know, a hundred odd podiums, twenty-one race wins, numerous fastest laps and pole positions. Yeah, driven for uh, Ferrari the, twice. Oh, exactly. He's done eight years for Ferrari. Done six years with McLaren. Uh, you know, I mean, the man is a legend. Yeah, an absolute legend, and he always will be. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna chuck. I don't know. I'm gonna chuck Kimi in up there. Okay, we'll give him a we'll give him a legendary rating because of you know this is final season. Then it's come to an end, right? So Kimmy's in the legends. Yeah. <laughs> um. Right. So ahead of Kimmy is Mister Saturday himself, George Russell. So my top scores for George would be so is it outstanding and then good? Are those the top two levels I've got? Yeah. So you got insane, good, okay, poor, and then rubbish okay. basically. Okay. So I'm going to give George a good. I would have given him insane for dragging that Williams to second place at Belgium, but towards the end of the season, he's been nowhere again. And I, again, that could be the car. I don't know. But even in qualifying, Mr. Saturday hasn't shown up in qualifying a few times towards the end of the year. My gut tells me he's lost the love a little bit. Why is he desperately breaking his back every week to drag an uncompetitive car to somewhere it's never going to be? when he's on the move to a much bigger and better team next year. Um, yeah, he's, he's got the deal so it's sealed now, hasn't he? You know. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that would drop from insane to good for me, because I can't rule out the fact that he put put that car on the podium at Spa. Yeah, two front row starts. Mm. So, uh, you know, albeit in weird and wonderful conditions, but the man was there when you needed him. Um, but yeah, George... Yeah, it's it was refreshing for that mid part of the season to see Williams so competitive. Yeah. It was just an absolute joy and a real sort of throwback to their their, their former glory days. Yeah. Um, all you know, all too quickly it faded away again. Um, I'm hoping next season's a turning point. There were some rumours that Dorrelton, who brought Williams, were already considering of selling it back on again. Oh God. I'm um, hoping that's not going to be the case. Me too. Um, so, next in the driver standings then, Mr. Inconsistent, Yuki Tsunoda. <laughs> I'm actually going to say poor. Yeah. I, well, I said, that was my gut, was to say poor. It was the fact that he'd had a good showing today. Did that, that, that give mm. enough? But actually, but I, I don't... three races, I don't he's think been he does. nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's been absolutely nowhere at all. So now no. I I think you're right. I think he I think he has to go down as poor. Um we come to another cash. Oh, Lance Lance Stroll. 
poor. Yeah, it is Lance Stroll, of course. Yeah, there's, there's, I can't, I can't give him anything else. He's, he's not had. With Lance Stroll, there is often the odd flash of there's something here, like mm-hmm. him and Sergio at Istanbul last year. All of a sudden, it was like, hang on, the pink Mercedes is looking okay in the hands of Lance Stroll, but. He's just been nowhere this year. He's had a few points finishes, but generally speaking, he's been outperformed by Seb. Um, yeah, I poor. Yeah. Well, Seb is the next man on the list, his teammate. Um, so so Seb, in the Seb only gets an okay for me. Um, he had a poor start to the season. Then he started to pick it up significantly. Um, but... Eh. It yeah. was okay. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'd agree. Um it's been it's been hit and miss for Seb this season. Yeah. Um so next on the list then is the Hungarian Grand Prix winner, uh, <laughs> Esteban Ocon. Uh for So he's had fourteen points finishes out of twenty three races this season. So this hurts me to say this. Because I do not particularly rate Esteban Ocon. I'm not a fan. <laughs> not a fan at all. And I haven't been ever since his first season before Alpine and Renault. I'm going to have to give him good for yeah. consistently getting some good points finishes, um, for bringing that Alpine into a decent position throughout the year, for a race win, and yeah. for finishing only seven points behind his double world champion more illustrious teammate yeah yeah i'd agree um yeah he really he didn't get you know he didn't get wiped on the floor by alonso this season um which is good to see Mm -hmm. definitely yeah so alonso had 15 points finished so he only had one more points finished than um ocon this season um, yeah, Alonso, first season back. Okay. One, yeah, one podium to speak of. Um, I'd expected more from Fernando yeah, Alonso. I, I, think, I think people would have expected more from Fernando, um, especially given the situation where there was an opportunity to win a race. Mm. You would think Alonso, you wouldn't think Ocon. But that's the way it fell. Um yeah, I think he's been okay. I'd I'd struggle to give him anything more than an okay. I didn't think it was an amazing yeah. season. No, no. Um, well, next on the list though is a man that have, you know I think we've spoken very highly of this season. The Frenchman Pierre Gasly, Alpha Tori. Uh, for me, the man has done wonders. I would actually be pushing him up towards insane levels here. It's exactly um, where I'd want to be as well. He's what. 70, 80 points more than his teammate. Um, yeah. He's dragged that car into places it has absolutely no right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he's been outstanding all year. Yeah, I mean, because he even had the podium back in Baku. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the guy has been a machine this season for him. Uh, and long may that continue. Um I think he'll be, you know, Red Bull. I know they're saying, oh, well, you know, he's only going to have one more year because uh, it's our junior car. Well, actually, it's a sister car now. I think you'd be stupid to lose him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Um, Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, Danny's uh, been a bit uh, of a disappointment this year. 
He has, he has. Uh, it was nice to see him win at Monza. He, he really looked on form that weekend. He was great that weekend. Yeah. Um, and then he followed that up with a fourth place in Russia as well, which was, you know, seemingly really good. And then faded again. Yeah. Um, not sure what happened there. Uh, he just sort of faded away into a bit of obscurity. And he's had a trio of 12th place finishes in the closing stages, which... When you look at his team, mate, yeah, <laughs> it know. doesn't sit right, does it? I I thought he'd started to turn a corner. I thought after yes. that initial run of bad form, he he turned a corner and things were looking much better for him. But mm -hmm. it fell away again. I'm not sure what happened. So yeah, I can't give him any more than an okay. Yeah, I mean he's a proven race winner. Yeah, um, yeah, Danny Rick, uh, I I agree, an okay season for him. Um, well, okay, this one's a bit of a turn-up. So, the protégé of Ferrari, hmm. Charles Leclerc, ever been the driver's standings and behind his teammate Carlos Sainz. Indeed. Um, Who would have written that one at the beginning of the season? Yeah, absolutely. I still think it's a good result oh, yeah. for Charles Leclerc. I think it's been a good season in a not very competitive Ferrari. Yeah. Um, not his best by any stretch of the imagination, no. but not not bad. No, and let's not forget, though, on the subject of the car, Ferrari did admit that they had turned their full attention to next year's car yeah. way ago in the season. I think we were like round three when it was like, no, we're, we're focusing on the regulation changes. Yeah. So this year's car is whatever you've got. And, and fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Lando Norris, cheeky little Lando. Um some cracking races from him this season um a very much mclaren's starring driver that has to be said there was um, i've seen a lot about lando online as well by people talking about him a lot of people are saying he's the most improved driver since last year mm, and a lot of people yeah, saying yeah. i don't understand how you can say he's the most improved he's barely scored any more points this that and the other i think lando is maturing really nicely and i still absolutely expect to see a world championship in his future i think that was a really good really solid drive from from lando all season he tailed off a little bit towards the end but so did danny rick and that could be indicative of mclaren steering their development to next year's car i'd be yeah. surprised because they were fighting for third mm. in the driver's title which obviously they didn't get in the constructors in the end ferrari no. pipped them to that but yeah. yeah, I think it was a good season for Lando. Yeah, I, I I I've been impressed with Lando this season. I thought he's 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 been you know he's been there or thereabouts whenever you needed him. But like you say, the car tailed off towards the second half of the season. First half of the season, blinding right up there. Yeah. Um. Well, in front of him then his uh, his friend uh, Carlos Sainz Junior. Uh, although he doesn't like the junior bit, so just Carlos Sainz. Um, How does he not? He doesn't. No, he specifically asked for the timing screens not to have Junior on there. He wants to be known as Carlos Sainz. Interesting. Um, wonder how his dad feels about that. You know, well, the yeah. Carlos Sainz. <laughs> so, 15 straight points finishes for the man. That is consistency. It is. It is. It's, um, it's been another good season and for Carlos. may I point out for Carlos as well, he, I believe... Ooh, I think he may well be, 
I'm just looking, having a quick scan across the list. Carlos is the only man that finished every single Grand Prix this year. All 20, oh. 22 of them. And only two of those 20-odd races were outside of the points, and they were both P11s. Interestingly, up until today, Antonio Giovinazzi had finished every race no, no, this season yeah, as well. well. <laughs> we're we're going to forget about that. We're not going to talk about that. Okay. But yeah, Carlos signs. So only two races outside the points. The rest, he's been in the points. Yeah. Good you... man. Yeah, good season. Yeah, it good, was a good season. Good Again, in a, season. in a not great Ferrari. No. Yeah. So well done to those boys. Um, Checo obviously took his first win this year. Um, he's had a few podiums. And would you have expected more? Or I would. You, you know, it was yeah. So okay. so you know, don't get me wrong. I think Checo's had a good year. I think yes, he's had he a good year. But here's here's my opinion on Checo. So he started his career. Was it? Sauber. Sauber, thank you. And yes. Yes, of course it was. The white Sauber. Mm -hmm. And he did a great job. He got some solid points and he was doing really well. And that earned him a move to McLaren when they were still a race winning, championship threatening car. And he crumbled under the pressure at McLaren. So he went back to Sauber. Then he ended up getting the move to what would have been Force India at the time and then through the racing point days. And that is where he seems to shine as a driver who can eke the very best out of those tyres for longer than anyone else and as the underdog, as the plucky underdog. When he has a race-winning car underneath him, he just seems to fade away. So we had the one race win at Azerbaijan and a handful of podiums. But I've said this before, and spoiler alert, I'm going to say the same thing when we get to Valtteri Bottas. The two best cars on the grid this year are the Mercedes and the Red Bull. The two best drivers are Max and Lewis. What you should therefore expect is that every week, barring something going wrong, third and fourth should be their respective teammates. I don't care what the order is. Swap them every week. But that's where they should be. For these drivers to have been finishing in 6th, 16th, 19th, 8th, 9th, this is Perez's results across the year, 15th, uh, I can't pick him on today because he retired, but that that shows an inconsistency that shouldn't be there when their mm-hmm. respective illustrious teammates are on the podium or not finishing in general. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, which kind of actually brings us nicely into Valtteri then, to be honest. Um, yeah. Valtteri. So I my heart, my heart bleeds for him. Um, yeah, he's finished third in the drivers' standings in yes. the end. He's he's done his bit for Mercedes. Yeah. Um, but just the one race win this year. But then when you look at the two guys going at it at the front, that's probably par for the course. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, looking through his results for the year, I hadn't necessarily appreciated quite how many third places he had had. You know, Bahrain, yeah. Portugal, Spain. Uh, what else have we got in there? The Styrian Grand Prix. He was second in the Austrian. Third yep. at Great Britain. Third at the Netherlands. Third at Italy. So, you know, I my assumption before looking at those results was, again, he'd gone missing in too many races. And particularly towards the tail end of the season, where the hell did he go? Yeah. You know, he finished... Well, I mean- he finished sixth today, and he should yeah. have finished third. 
yeah. I mean, that was another factor. I, I, ugh, I don't want to say it, but I feel it's another factor as to another reason why Lewis has lost the title today. He's not had his teammate anywhere near the pace today. Um, you know, he was faced with both Red Bulls, which... Yeah, look at what Checo did to Lewis. Let's, yeah. That gap was eight seconds between Hamilton and Verstappen. And Checo managed to defend that that well that it was a second, just over a second, 1.3 seconds by the time he got past Perez. Yeah. I mean, if you want your number two driver or your teammate to help you out, that that is what you're looking for. But even even better than that... He was hung back far enough to make sure he triggered DRS for Max. Max got the DRS, got to the end of the straight, and then Checo just pulled straight out of the way. Off you go, sunshine. I mean, talk about a number two driver. That's that's Rubens Barrichello number two driver category. That is. That is. That is. And I, I did like, I, at that point, you know, I mean, I was saying to the other half, I was saying, do you know what? Perez has done an amazing job there. That is... That is incredible what he's done. Um, and, you know, fair play to Max. He jumped on the radio and he did say, oh, Checo's a legend. You know, He's an animal. Was the <laughs> yeah, response, an animal. It? Yeah. He's, he's fucking right. Yeah. That was absolutely insane. But Lewis uh, hasn't had that from Valtteri this year. And interestingly, no, Lewis made a big deal of calling out that Valtteri is the best teammate that he thinks yeah. he's ever had. Now, I find that really interesting mm. considering the company. You know, we're talking about Alonso, Rosberg, Button, former world champions. And, you know, he even actually had a decent run with Heike Kovalainen back in the day. Yeah. What I think he means by this being the best teammate he's ever had is this is, in a race-winning car, this is the least threatening teammate yeah. he's ever had because Bottas never throughout the three or four years he's been at Mercedes looked like he was going to challenge Lewis for the win no 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 he was never never a title winner um and it was pointed out by Martin today his consistency was the issue you know mm. he's yeah he'd turn up and flourish at Sochi every year or whatever but then fade into obscurity for a few races before suddenly popping up again and it'd be like mm. yeah well in fact uh, i was just looking at it actually so bottas only finished runner-up twice to lewis because it was seb vettel and that's yeah seb vettel the year before oh seb vettel two years before but for two years mm. in a row but on in 2019 bottas was 73 points behind that's very nearly three race wins yeah. in 2020 he was 127 points behind big margins it's just over five race victories behind you know that's yeah that's a big just... difference no yeah you can't be having that um okay so well i guess we come to our season of it's, it's you, you call him a runner-up but i think they're both champions <laughs> in their own merits uh lewis hamilton so First, i'm i'm yeah. gonna score lewis and max exactly the same they they are both insane and that's because they have both achieved another level this year and you can see that by the sheer gulf of points between themselves and their their teammates you can see it in the lap times in quali you can see it by the race lap times you can see it by the race distance and how quickly they just disappear 
away from everybody else even their teammates in identical machinery they have just both been at the absolute top of their game and whilst the results left some sour tastes it's given us a really exciting season to watch yeah oh it has it's been absolutely incredible um oh wow yeah um I, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. Really, um, they've both been outstanding. Like I said, they've pushed themselves to a to a completely different tier of racing than than anyone else has has you know managed at all. Uh, to be honest, all season long. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I've got a teams rankings. Um, if we want to grade Ooh. the teams and we can take into account the principles on this because the, the principles are the head of the team so to speak hmm. um, uh, oh, I don't know because I might have a very differing opinion on team principles than I do on the actual team performance yeah well let's look at the teams um, Haas it's going to be the same tiers Haas I think it's poor it's poor no uh, development all season not no. a single thing changed in that car this year no, and it's not surprising. We we've, we've talked in the past about the way Haas's development is, and that they outsource their chassis design. They're they're yeah. getting a Ferrari customer engine as well, but um, the team has gone backwards since joining Formula One, and that somehow feels wrong. You know, to to have started here and be steadily declining, surely it should be the other way around. So there's yeah. something not quite right there. No, yeah, I I completely agree. Um. They've been woeful, in my opinion, um, and it's just continued for a number of years. Um, it hasn't helped with their own drivers internally hitting each other on track and the like, uh, uh, because Nikita's throwing his toys out the pram because he doesn't want to be slower than Mick. It's like, well, unfortunately, mate, you're just naturally slower. Yeah, just End of be, discussion. be better then. Drive faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Improve yourself. Yeah. Um, Alfa Romeo, second bottom this year. I think they were poor as well. I think Alpha have gone backwards. I think they've historically been a better team than that. Um, I believe Alpha are keeping their sponsorship in place for a while, so they're not reverting back to Sauber. Yeah, they've extended. Um, obviously, that's an interesting one as well. Obviously, we know that uh, Sauber Engineering came under offer um, from Andretti Autosports. That fell through because... Mm. They were demanding two hundred and fifty million pounds buyout plus fifty million pounds a year continued payment as a um, sort of financial safeguarding. Three hundred million pounds a year. No one is going to pay that. Frankly, I'm sorry. You know, maybe as a one-off fee, but you're not going to continue pumping fifty million pounds mm. to the owners, the previous owners. No, you're not. That's that's ridiculous. Um, so uh, maybe we're going to see them suffer a, a bit more next year. Hmm. I don't know. It's going to be up in the air, I think, for Alfa Romeo. Um, Williams improved this year, up back up in the points on a number of occasions. Eighth place in the constructors, twenty three points for them. Um, I would say that was okay. I think it's yeah. a, it's a marginal improvement on where they were last year. Some of their points finishes were fortuitous rather than the car being there on their own raw pace. 
Um, They're going in the right direction. They were the best Mm. of the rest in that respect. But it's it's difficult because I benchmark Williams as the car that won the 97 championship, the 96 championship, the 93, the 92. You know, these were... This was a huge team with significant financial backing that changed how Formula One was. You know, they were the leaders of the technological era for hydraulic changeable suspension, height adjustable suspension and various other traction control aids. So it's it's hard for me to see them languishing Mm. at the back of the grid. So it is. And of course, uh, you know, we haven't had a podcast since. But obviously we must mention, obviously, we lost Sir Frank Frank. this year. Um. I don't think there's any words that cover the loss that that is. No. I I respected all the teams putting on their Frank Williams stickers. That was a nice touch. I kind of actually, to be honest, I felt like Williams could have done a bit more. Um, mm. You know, considering that is his team. That team is only in existence because of that man. It's his name. Yeah. His name um, is still above the door. Exactly. Um, and... You know, long may that continue. Um, but it, you know, it's a shame that we've lost Sir Frank. It, you know, the the team was his lifeblood. Um, you know, he poured his heart and soul into motorsport. Uh, yeah, he gave everything to it. Yeah, um, everything yeah, and tragedy. some. You know, mm. I mean, uh, <laughs> I suppose when you, I would encourage anyone to go online and and look this up, or to go and watch the Williams documentary. I know I've watched this a couple of times. It was a it was yeah. a good watch. It gives you a real understanding of the man and who he was. But the measure of a man, the measure of a human being, is is often how they deal with challenges in their life and how resilient they are. You know, I, like you, Steve, I've, I've faced many challenges in my life that I've picked myself up and dusted myself off. And I've faced many challenges in my life where I've regressed back into my house and thought, I'll come out again in a week or two's time. Frank Williams faced life altering and life defining injuries and all he cared about was getting back to the track and that brands hatch where he came back and it was his wife that stepped onto the podium to pick up the trophy you know there were not many dry eyes on that on that track side frank was and always will be a legend not just of formula one but of motorsport in general, because he had a significant hand in the super touring era of touring cars. Jason Plato will tell you in his own words, in his autobiography, that the reason he got the drive and was discovered was because he petitioned Frank so, so hard to get that drive. You know, Frank is just a legend and he's, you know, he'll be sorely missed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's nothing more to say. Mm -hmm. I think that sums it up. Absolutely. Um, so staying with the British theme then, uh, Aston Martin. <laughs> okay. Mm. I'm going to say Aston Martin had a poor season. Oh, yeah. And I agree. I'm going to say that because I think last year the car was looking much racier. Uh, yep. I think the, the pink Mercedes, as, as it was often known, was uh, was actually quite a competitive car last year that was mm. fighting for race wins. So for Aston to be so far off the pace is a shame. Again, I'm hoping this is down. Ooh, pardon me. I'm hoping this is down to the development going into next year's car, because yep. we know that there is some financial muscle from Daddy Stroll um, mm. and the Aston Martin branding. 
and actually they need to be doing good things with that you know in the same way alfa romeo don't want their car languishing around the back because it's not great advertising for the brand to have your supercar at the back of the grid aston won't want that either so they'll be making sure that if their car's there it's giving a good showing of itself yeah absolutely no i completely agree um yeah a rough ride this season for aston real real rough ride Mm. um okay so um that brings us then to the next one is actually a huge jump double the points pretty much all the way up to alpha tori sixth in the constructors 142 points for alpha tori this year yeah very Um, nearly nicked fifth yeah if sonoda had not binned it a few times we may well have seen them do it yeah, Sonoda have pulled his finger out and actually driven the car. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, well the but whole, though, I would say that's a real tidy effort from AlphaTauri this year. It is, it is, and I suppose the the thing that I I query in my own mind is 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 this a good for AlphaTauri, or is this just an outstanding for Pierre Gasly that's dragged this car oh, up? I don't oh. know the answer. Well, this is it. I mean, yeah, because if you take it, if you balance it out, then it's probably average um because both cars weren't in the points consistently but i'm gonna st- i'm uh, gonna stick my neck out of the line let's let's give alpha Tauri a good it was a decent showing for them yeah okay uh alpine i actually um, think alpine had a good season i'd ex- had i hadn't season. expected them to be that competitive uh the that renault consistent. that went before it wasn't a great car yeah um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I would say that was a very consistent effort this season from Alpine. Um, yeah, I- I'm happy with that. Um, okay, so we jump forward to McLaren. Initially, very, very pacey. Not so much second half of the season. Really faded in comparison to Ferrari. It did. It did. I still think that McLaren had a good season, largely when you factor in how off the pace that they had been in recent years. Um, I mean, in fairness, they were the third best constructor last year, but yeah. I, I, you know, they, they, they got more points this year. They delivered a mm-hmm. decent season. I, I think they did a reasonably good job. Yeah. All things I think considered. That's... Yeah, I think that's a step back in the right direction for McLaren. Yeah. Um, you know, in amongst all their financial woes. Um, mm. Ferrari. Um, let's look at Ferrari then. So they did manage to claw their way back into third this year. Yeah, they did. I still, I still struggle. I think Ferrari have underperformed this year against what. Mm-hmm what the team should have done and you know we've we've talked about this in the past but we've seen formula one um head honchos at ferrari go for less you know they yeah they've they've cut their losses a few times i mean 2020 was a difficult year for ferrari um after basically being second or third for the last decade if not beyond so yeah it was okay yeah, average. Yeah. Um, well, I okay, we come to the two titans then, don't we? Really, um, Red Bull second in the constructors. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I think they've both done well this season, but I think they have. I... But I think one's done better than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think that's what's reflected in the scores in the points. I would give Red Bull the outstanding. Yep. And I would give Mercedes only a good. And my reason for that is Mercedes over the last six or seven years have given Nico, Valtteri and Lewis an outstanding car, which has been the cream of the crop and better than anything else in the field. I don't think they have this year. I think they've still given a, a fantastic car, don't get me wrong. And it could well be that Red Bull had just caught up rather than Mercedes were slacking. You know, I'm not, not casting aspersions in either direction. But the car was not the biggest decisive factor mm. this year. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, right. Well, there we go, guys. That is the rankings. Um if you agree with them, let us know. If you don't, equally, let us know, but in a constructive way. Um, oh, you yeah. optimist. Yeah, oh, I'm always optimistic, you know me. Um, yeah, it's... Despite the bitter, sort of sour taste at the end of this season mm. uh, with that last race, I think it's fair to say we have had one hell of a season this year, though. Yeah. Um one that we've not seen the likes of for quite some time. Um, it's had a bit of everything. It's had the you know the sort of initial preconception that Mercedes is going to walk away with it again. Um, then Red Bull have come back gunning, and it's yeah, it's been a remarkable battle this season between two remarkable drivers. Um, I, I, I mean. We don't know what's going to happen next season because it is a new technical regulations rule book. You know, it's it's complete fresh start. Obviously, testing isn't going to be until mid-February, I think it is, mid-February. So we're not even yeah. going to see him on track until mid to late February. Um, and they won't show feels... their cards either at that, at that no, point. No, no, they won't. They won't, absolutely. Um it's weird to think we are in mid-December and we're only just ending a Formula 1 season. I know, two weeks before Christmas. Yeah, when has that happened? Yeah. Well, I don't even, yeah. So it's going to be a pretty quick turnaround because, you know, after the new year, they have the Christmas break and then it's back to the, uh, you know, back to the designing boards, back to the manufacturing. A lot of sim work coming up for the drivers. Um, I mean, we've, We've only got January to go, and that's all going to be PR stuff. That's going to be, you know, press releases, car releases, and all this jazz. And we're going to be pretty much straight back into the thick of it. Um, I think the real sort of thing that kicks off, I think, for me, when it's motorsport, when we start getting a bit hyped up, is uh, usually falls around the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. That's mm. sort of the first annual motorsport event of the year. Uh, that's mid-January. So... Yeah, uh, I'm excited for next season. I am um, as well. I think this year is going to really reinvigorate Lewis. I think now he's going to come back with the bit between his teeth a little bit more. And I'm not sure. I, you know, I'm not sure. As long as the teams nail the designs, I'm not sure Max is going to be quite prepared for what's coming. Um, I, I'm excited at the prospect of that. I'm equally excited to see George Russell in a top team. 
I am as well. Yeah, I think mm. that would be amazing. And that that I actually think could be mm. Lewis's biggest challenge next year. Yeah. Um I yeah. I I'm a little bit hesitant to to put my money on anything at this stage because yeah. I don't know who's done what in development and mm. logic would tell me that Mercedes and Red Bull have had to put so much time into their development of this year's car to yeah. try and get themselves over the post that it's the teams behind them that might have the upper hand. So mm. your Ferraris, your McLarens, your Alpines, they yeah. might be the cars that are actually finding themselves in a really strong position next year. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Martin Brundle actually touched on that. Um, was it Martin Brundle? Might have been Ted Kravitz, actually. Um, they had a discussion, obviously, about Ferrari, because Ferrari haven't done anything to their car this year, really. Mm. Um, you know, they've got a strong driver lineup, and give them the right car, and I think Leclerc and Sainz, they're going to be a, a bloody fearsome partnership to, to go up against if they get it right. But so. we do see Ferrari get it wrong on a lot of occasions as well. So they're not the former 2000s team that we used to see. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, uh, you know, we will get a little bit of a gauge from practice. Well, not practice, but from testing. Hmm. It's a little bit of an insight. Not not gospel, nothing like that. But you know, yeah, it'll be a good sign to see who's got it right, who's not got it right, who's got reliability issues, who hasn't. Hmm. You know, it's, it's all of that stuff to sort of factor in. So Reliability yeah. could be a factor in new cars. Mm. Yeah, it always is with the technical changes. We we often see it. Uh, I mean, there's times Adrian Newey's designed it too tight and it's caused overheating issues. That's mm. all it takes. Yeah, it doesn't take much. So, no, it doesn't take much. Um, well, I think that kind of rounds us out then, really. Um I think it does, and probably, right. dare I say it, until February next year at the earliest. Well, maybe so, maybe so. Um, if we come up with any other content ideas, we might bring something to the channel, but uh, yeah, keep keep your eyes out, and uh, we'll keep you posted with anything um, that comes our way. Um, obviously, keep your eyes peeled, guys, to the, uh, the, the motorsport news to see what happens with this appeal. Um, mm. I don't imagine anything's going to come of it, but... No, but this is definitely not over yet. That's all we know. No, it's not. So, we'll see how this rumbles on. Uh, but guys, it has been a pleasure. Um, apologies it's taken so long to get this one out. But, you know, we're here. We are alive and well. That's the main thing. Um, so, for me, it's going to be, you know, all my best wishes. A, a Merry Christmas to everyone and a Happy New Year. Mm. Um, because, essentially, that's what we're looking at. And... Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you when F1 starts to pick up a little bit with all the pre-season shenanigans going on. I'm sure we'll be getting some testing and car release specials out to you at some point. So, uh, yeah, uh, keep your eyes out. Um, John? Yeah, well, what else can I say? Yeah, same as you. Happy happy Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year. And uh, hopefully we'll be back with some, some early car reviews next year when the images start Ooh. coming out and the press releases and we'll... We'll keep you up to date with everything we know. Yeah, absolutely. Right, guys. From us then, it is goodbye, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. And we'll see you next time out. <laughs>